All right, everyone, this is the special theme podcast you've been waiting on, on how to raise creative and entrepreneurial children. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, you know, it's been a long time coming, waiting for this particular episode. I've got Joanne, my wife, with me here. We're going to be talking about how to raise creative and entrepreneurial children today. That's our theme. Our sponsor today is my friends at Harry's. Harry's Razors, you've heard me talk about them. That's the razor that I use. This is a special edition for Harry's as well. This being Movember. That's November with an M. Movember. They're an official partner of the Movember Foundation. They'll be donating money to help raise awareness for men's health. Now, I'm sure a whole lot of you out there are growing mustaches this month because it's part of this Movember Foundation plan. Personally, I'm not going to be doing that. I guess I wish I could. You know, I've never had a mustache in all my life, have I? You've had little patches here and there. That's just, about as that's about the best you can do. I'm just not man enough yet to grow a full mustache. Well, I if like I you just the way you are, clean shaven with a Harry's razor. If I were man enough at some point, I would certainly shave it with a Harry's razor. Yep, that's what we're going to encourage you to do. Be part of the program. They're going to be donating money this month. So it'd be a great time to jump in there. So if you go to harrys.com right now, and then as you know, as a special offer for all the 48 days fans out there, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order. If you use the code 48 days, again, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter the code 48 days. Well, we're excited about what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how to raise creative and entrepreneurial children. Golly, we just never cease being excited about this because we have our own three children and now 14 grandkids. So we've had a lot of practice in this space. Talk to us a little bit, Joanne, about creativity and why we think it's important. Well, I really believe that all children are creative. I think you can see that in the classroom. If you ask somebody, ask a class full of children, if they can create or if they can uh, do a piece of art or sing a song or whatever, it's, yes, pick me, yes, pick me. Well, they don't bother uh, with dealing with fear, perfectionism, or the feeling that they can't accomplish whatever the task might be. They just jump in and they do it. Sometimes it's muddled and sometimes it's messy, but they really don't care. They're thrilled to have it done and they're eager to show it off to others. As they grow older, they become more socially aware and they become more self-conscious. They become more self-critical, doubting themselves and their capabilities. Children really need to know, I think, the value of work, how to repair, how to build, how to plant, how to maintain and take care of things. This helps them to be more aware of how work is not a dirty word to be avoided at all costs or even just tolerated. Dan, we talked about this a lot last night. I was asking you about your days on the farm. And if if your dad really urged you to be creative in the things that you were doing, if he taught you how to fix things, repair things, to build things, and all the things that I know that you did, what was your response to that? 
My response was that my dad didn't really work with me a whole lot on that. I just had an insatiable curiosity to take things apart, know how they worked, make them work better. I don't really know. I didn't have a lot of examples of that, but well, I was just drawn to it. I think there are a lot of children who are just innately excited about learning to take apart something, to build something. They get their Legos out and they can build entire villages with their Legos or they, they find a, an old motor lying around and they start tinkering with it, just like you did. Yeah. And I think that is innate in some kids, but I don't think it's innate in all of them. Sometimes they have to have examples in front of them, people who are doing things that they are curious about. And so that is a mentor for them. And I think that the greatest teachers we have in our lives can be our parents. So we're going to talk a lot about this today and how we can be um, real role models for our children. You know, you work with people a lot on creativity. You work with a lot of women in their 50s who are rediscovering their creativity. It's probably there. Our, our feeling is that it's there all along. It's something that needs to be kind of peel away the onion rather than something new that has to be learned. But looking at children, I mean, do you think that all children are creative? It seems that some children are more naturally curious, but do you think that all children are creative or are some children more naturally creative? And is it something that we can teach every child? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I think that all children are creative. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think we're, for one thing, it, it, it's biblical. We're made in the image of the great creator. And I don't think that anybody will deny the fact that children are creative. They're going to go out and make forts out of boxes and build um, build things out of sticks. And that that's just a natural part of their growing up. But what happens along the way and why I so often work with 50-year-olds who don't think they have a creative bone in their bodies is that we become, we have situations where either it's been, our creativity has been stifled, we've been made fun of, we don't think we're as good as the next person, we compare ourselves, that's part of the maturing and growing process, and it's not necessarily a good part of that. But it happens. It's the way life is. And sometimes it takes getting through a series of life events to rediscover who you are and what you have inside you, including how creative you might be. Rediscover. I like that. It's there for everybody. We just need to tap into it. Sometimes life has a way of kind of blunting that where we are hiding that part of ourselves. Well, we asked for input and did we ever get it? So we have Lots and lots of stories from you, the listeners that you've submitted, helping us understand this this area with great examples. We've divided it up a little bit into examples that fall under the education title. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Then we're going to talk about real life examples. We're going to talk about how inclusion, being with a role model, be that a parent, a teacher, a neighbor, whoever, how that works. And then we're going to end with some clear principles. We've got some great principles that have been submitted, and we're going to wrap up with those. So that's going to be kind of our format, education, examples, inclusion, principles. We're going to go through this and just see how much fun we can have, including lots of your examples. Now, one of the things, and you already mentioned like Sir Ken Robinson, you know, he's been kind of an example in this educational space the British guy who has so much to say about education. Of course, he's got a, a video out there titled, Do Schools Kill Creativity? We encourage you if you've not listened to that. If you're not, you're in the minority, I think, because at this point, I just checked a little bit ago, 
35,846,652 people have watched that video, or at least that's how many times it's been watched. Almost 36 million times. Obviously a topic that gets people's attention. You know, our educational models, as we know, were set up really to train people to work in factories. Well, that's not really a logical outcome anymore. We need to be more realistic about the kind of workplace that people are coming into. And we want to train our children so that they come up out with marketable skills, not just heads full of knowledge or knowing how to do routine, boring, mechanical kind of processes. Well, that that's another topic. We could devote a whole session to just Unpacking educational model. Uh, yes, we certainly can. I think we, we're seeing an awful lot more written about that and podcasts dealing with that these days. But And I think it's going to continue to even get more so. Well, and in Chapter 3 of the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love, mm-hmm. it's titled, Yes, I Do Have an Education, and I do address that somehow. Education is changing, and what we think of when we talk about education is changing. It's not a head full of knowledge but it's those who know how to understand and apply principles. And that's part of what releases creative and entrepreneurial skills as well. Now I'm going to introduce here, we're going to include a lot of um, listener comments as we go along today. So just stick with us here. Hopefully you'll hear your name, uh, your name included in the list as well. Phil Conrad says, when we lead our children onward, we help them in many ways, including helping them create an entrepreneurial mindset He talks about some of the things that he's done. He says, to the point, one of the ways we can lead our children in this area is through connection. We may have friends at church, acquaintances in the workplace, or contacts in our network who we may be able to introduce to our children. I work at Purdue University, Phil says, and our president is former Indiana governor, Mitch Daniels. So I figured I would reach out to his office to see if I could schedule a meeting with him and my son. My son is 16 years old with an interest in politics. I thought with his interest in politics and President Daniel's background, it would be a great way to start and a way to encourage my son. I was granted a 15-minute meeting, and we met him on a summer day in July in his office. We had specific questions prepared that we wanted to address so as not to waste his time. We got some valuable information and learned some things that will help us make decisions moving forward Thanks for your opportunity to share. Best, Phil Conrad. Well, Phil, thanks so much for that story. That is a great example of just introducing them to somebody. You know, one of the principles of really successful people is they spend time with those people who are already performing at a level which they want to perform. Well, this is a great example. As a son interested in politics, was able to meet with the Purdue University president, former Indiana governor. What a great way to get that insight. You know, our daughter, Ashley, right now is in Costa Rica with her family, all three children, ages three to eight, and her husband, and they're visiting our son and our and his family there. But a lot of the reason for going there is to promote what she called, what is called, what's termed currently as unschooling. Their children are learning through example and through experience and not just through a textbook. There's a vast difference about reading, uh, for instance, about volcanoes in a textbook and then actually going to see one, going and experiencing that, experiencing a new culture, a new language, new foods, all of these kinds of things that are really popular right now in the unschooling environment. And if you think that that's not a valid term, look up unschooling 
on the internet, and you'll see quite a bit in there about it. It's becoming as popular, if not more so, than homeschooling. Very similar, but it's based a lot on experience and using mentors, uh, teachers who have, uh, who have really had the experience in specific areas, or like Phil Conrad did with his son, a politician. It could be um, an attorney, a doctor, or whatever. You know, I, I mentioned to you just before we went on, on air, Dan, that when I was a little child, probably second or third grade, I don't remember the things that I learned in my textbook or that I learned in my schoolroom, but I remember taking a tour through a dairy. I remember that very vividly, learning how the the milk came to the dairy, how it was processed, how it was made into ice cream, and all those fun things that those experiences hands-on hold so much more education than just reading it in a textbook. Now, I remember you would, you would point out that dairy even years and years later. <laughs> as an adult. As, as an adult, because it made such an indelible impression on yeah. you as a learning experience. Yes. When our own children were growing up, of course, we, we homeschooled or unschooled or whatever we wanted to call it, but had a lot of experiences that they were involved in. I remember one particular trip when I was going to be speaking in New York, and we stayed with an Amish family in Pennsylvania. There's, there's a book out there because of my own Amish Mennonite background. There's actually a book called Mennonite Your Way. Uh, they don't think that it's good stewardship to stay in hotels, so they stay with families. We did it as a just as an adventure, but we stayed with this Amish family and he happened to make brooms. So the next Mm -hmm. morning we got up, he made each of our children their own broom, which I think they still have today. On that same trip, we then went and stayed at a Hooterite colony. It's a group of people. There are only two colonies in the United States. I believe they're more popular in Germany and in South America. But this particular one, uh, they the men had a factory where they made toys. Mm-hmm. The women educated the children. They lived in community, in dormitories. So it was just another ex- interesting experience. But instead of reading about it in a book, we went and spent several days with that colony. When our son Kevin was 10 years old, we, he got very much into BMX racing. And he went on to be a professional bike racer, uh, not just in BMX, but in road biking, uh, road racing also. And one of the things that we did with Kevin was when he wanted his first bike, of course, he wanted a top of the line red line bicycle. And we said, that's fine, Kevin. Now, what are you going to do to earn the money for that? 400 stinking dollars, which at that time was a lot of money for us. And it was also exorbitant in his mind, you know, where is a child of 10 years old going to come up with uh, $400 for a bicycle? Now, we knew that bicycle racing was important to him. He really wanted to do this. So what? explain uh, to our audience what you decided he should do, Dan. Sure. Well, it was a great learning opportunity. And we were used to paying $25 for bicycles, but this was $400, a redline bicycle. And of course, kids are convinced that it's the equipment that makes you a winner rather than you, the person. But that's, again, another story. So, but we encouraged him. We wanted him to be excited about it. We encouraged all of our children to be involved in things that interested them, exploring their own passions. So it was, okay, how are we going to get that bicycle? Well, his first response was, well, we're going to go down to the bike store 
our friends that were at the bike store, and you can write a check. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, laughable at that time in our lives. (laughs) I says that's not going to happen, but we'll figure out a way to do that. So what I did is bought a motorcycle from one of my car friends. Bought a motorcycle that they had taken in trade. It was pretty in pretty poor disrepair, pretty poor repair, and we worked on that for six weeks. Now, when you think in the mind of a 10-year-old child, six weeks is a fairly long period of time. We worked on it every day. We and you sanded. didn't do all the work. You oh. did it alongside Kevin. That's you right. You showed him what to do and helped him to learn to do it. We took things apart. We took things to repair shops. We took parts to a chrome, chroming place. We sanded. We put that all back together. I put a fine little pinstripe on it so it looked just gorgeous. We parked it out in our yard after six weeks of work sold it. I took my money out. This is always the way we've done things with our kids. I took every penny that I had put into it. I took it out and we had $410 in profit. And I said, Kevin, here's your money. Here's your bike. (laughs) You've earned it. What do you want to do with that $410? I want to go get that bicycle. So we did. But in doing so, that bicycle, as compared to the neighbor kids, whose parents did go out and just buy him a bicycle and he'd leave it laying out in the front yard over the weekend. It'd rain, no big deal. Not Kevin with his bike. That bike, you remember where that stayed? In, in his, his bedroom. bedroom. Yes. <laughs> it was protected with his life. It was immaculate because he had skin in the game. But it was Boy, a learning that's a experience. life principle, not just for children. That's a, a life principle for adults also. It is. But that's just one example of of what he did when, when Jared was 14, you know, at that age where, gee, I want to make some money. We lived in a community where there were 433 homes in a pretty close community. So he wanted to know what to do to make some money. Well, not every kid is going to mow grass or deliver papers. It's easy to do. And you know, no, you know, we encourage our children to look at what is it that you have as a unique skill, just as we would in working with an adult. What is a unique talent or ability that you have well because of his older brother's racing experience jared was pretty good as a mechanic kevin didn't really care that much about the mechanical part of bikes he just wanted to get on them and and race jared being younger was really good mechanically so we put together a little flyer a door hanger and it was this week's special five dollar flat repair we put that out twice during a summer only twice, and it kept him busy all summer long. Now, here's the thing. The real unique selling proposition, again, what makes that unique, is that he offered free pickup and delivery. Think about it. If you have a child that has a bicycle that needs some repair, it's a pain to put it into a car. Try not to scratch the paint in your car. Take it down to the bike dealer. No, that was Jared's unique advantage. Free pickup and delivery. Guess what? As a 14-year-old, he couldn't even drive. But we lived in a community of those 433 homes. They're all within walking distance. Mm -hmm. He would go get the bicycle. And here's the other part of that as well. 90% of the bicycles that have a flat repair also need other work. So he could call the owner and say, you know what? It's springtime. It'd be a great time to do a tune-up, tighten the chain, adjust the spokes on the wheels, you know, adjust the handlebars, you know, clean things up. You know, for another $39, I'll do that as well. And people did. And so here as a 14-year-old, he very quickly established himself making $150, $200 a week just doing bicycle repair. But it was something that not every other kid was doing. He had very 
virtually no competition in our community for doing that. That reminds me, I'm sorry, but it, this is just, it tickles me because this is exactly what happens when you take the car in for an oil change. It needs this, that, and the other. Absolutely. I just want the oil change. <laughs> yeah, they upsell you. <laughs> but, that, but it worked well for him, and he did really well with, um, with gaining money that he needed as a child. And it was something easy for him to do, something he enjoyed, and something that he could do easily in our neighborhood. Uh, and that's, another that's thing, the thing, even with children, we start to look for their unique skills and abilities, their personality tendencies, their values, dreams, and passions. Exactly the same process we use with a 45 year old who's trying to decide what job they're going to look at next. It's the same process. So, with our children, look at what is it that you uniquely do already? Ashley was an amazing cook. She still is. She loves to bake. And when she was a teenager and wanted extra money, she went to a small private high school at that time. I had homeschooled her for a good number of years, and then she decided that she wanted to go back into a regular schooling situation for the last couple of years of high school. And so she went to a small private school, and they would often have uh, entertainment in the evenings or little um, parties or something where they wanted extra food, and Ashley would make apple pies. She makes awesome apple pies. She loved doing it. And she would take them to school and have people taste them. They loved them. And so parents started ordering her apple pies. And she got $20 a pie, sometimes more. And sometimes she would do other things too, other desserts. She loved doing it. The ingredients didn't cost that much. Of course, she was using my kitchen. So it's it wasn't a big deal for her to do it. And she got $20 every time she did a pie. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, even now, you go into a bakery, and $20 for a pie is a pretty good amount. And this was back a number of years ago. She's been out of high school for quite a while. And now Ashley has three little girls. Who are (laughs) loving baking. And they come to our events selling muffins at, what is it, a quarter apiece? Uh, I think I think Clarice for a dollar. Clarice, well, it used to be she would tell people they're twenty five cents each, or four for a dollar. Four for a dollar. <laughs> now I think she's upped it to five for a dollar. Well, we got lots of stories here <clears throat> from you, the listeners. We want to include. We're just going to give you some synopsis. David Powers, Doctor David Powers, they homeschool their children. One of the things he says: each child designs their own micro business. Once this bug bites them, I find them constantly adding to them. My 11-year-old son is working towards someday having his own food truck. He's already an award-winning chef. He also does a dog walking business, has been known to set up impromptu art booths in people's houses and sell drawings. My 8-year-old wants to be a chef as well, but wants to niche in spicy foods. Right now, we're in the process of designing his blog logo and seeking sponsorships. We're also brainstorming domain names for him. My four-year-old so just helped that's, that's a whole uh, language that our children would have never known because it didn't exist back then. Right, a blog there logo. Is so, yeah, yep. there's so much Website. out there available for kids to do these days that it's just mind-boggling. I mean, it isn't just a matter of throwing newspapers or repairing bikes. There's so much just even on the Internet that they can do. Adam Suter wrote, 
They said, what if your kid loved to create something? You could feel that passion. What if that passion could result in a business that paid for their college? What if your kids, what if when your kids left your home, they knew how to do one thing extremely well? Guzani developed that into a blog that's really well done. Thanks, Adam, for that. Warren Carlson says, I have a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old of opposing qualities. I teach my kids to inquire about anything and everything. I also get tired of why, why, why. Then I get the how. Why did they choose? What if they did what they did? I use every opportunity to show them how money flows and how certain principles can generate greater odds of generating a positive economic outcome. Goes on from there. Some great points. You know what she, uh, what Lauren brings out is that we get tired sometimes of the why, 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 and the what ifs, and all of the questions that children throw at us. But that it's that curiosity, that inquisitiveness, that helps them to learn. I remember, uh, and here's a great example uh, that just happened a year or two ago. I was I was cleaning out the birdcage. We have a parakeet, and Clara wanted to. Uh, this was Ashley's eight-year-old. She wanted to take care of the feeding of that bird, and I said, "Well, Clara, I don't I don't think you know how. I'll do it because it's just easier. Parents do that all the time. It's sure. just easier." She said immediately. She said, "Well, then teach me." Well, how are you going to resist that? Seriously, well, teach me. And that really is behind all those whys. All those whys are saying, teach me, show me, help me to learn. And we have to be patient with that. We don't have to, we, we don't need to ignore that because that's stifling that creativity, that curiosity that's so important. This comes from Lisa Doyle in Omaha. You got a great Note, I'm a homeschool mom of five. My three oldest kids are now in college. Still homeschooling my two youngest daughters. Homeschooling is a great way to foster creativity in kids. Um, we've, our afternoons are fun time. I love this. Our afternoons are fun time. Now, she talks about in the morning they use curriculum. In the afternoon, it's fun time. That's when my kids pursue their individual interests. That's when songs are written, novels are penned, paintings are created, recipes are developed, Forts are built, musical instruments come to life, and businesses are started. Now think about that. Again, we aren't doing a promo for homeschooling at all. We're just talking about creativity. But do those things happen in traditional school? Songs are written, novels are penned, paintings are created, recipes are developed, forts are built, musical instruments come to life, businesses are started. No, those are things that we have to take responsibility for as parents. And it doesn't have to be just in a homeschooling situation. We all have evenings and weekends regardless. Absolutely. Lisa says, though, this is a great line. She says, my husband and I have a saying in our home, boredom is not an option. Get creative. I loved it. That was a great line. Yep. Well, this comes from Grayson. Encourage your kids. You won't always understand them, but they have a flicker of creativity and of understanding that will someday serve them well. And she's got multiple points here. Listen to your children. Let your kids read. Let your kids learn. Just some great points there. Rob says, I wanted to add to your collection. Wait, before you go on, there's a part to that that I wanted to bring out that I thought was, was really, really good because... We hear so often about um, helicopter parents hovering over their children, protecting them, making sure they're safe. Listen to this. 
my brother had a passion for fire starting and campfires and lighters when he was younger. Granted, that was a scary time in our lives, but we kept an eye on him, and now he wants to pursue glass blowing. I was always fascinated with mythology, magic, and cryptozoology, and now I'm able to understand people of different religions and diving into a career in animal psychology, behavior, and husbandry. You never know what your kids will do with the knowledge they're amassing. Just help them on their way. I love that. Now, how many kids, how many parents would allow their kids to play with matches? Yeah. But to learn in that way, you know, to, I know I, I see uh, Clara and, and her siblings cutting apples and things like that. How many parents allow their kids to play with a knife? It's not playing, it's learning. And with correct supervision, Sometimes we have to just be out of, go out of our comfort zone a little bit in helping our kids to learn. A lot of what we're hearing here repeatedly is just paying attention to what your kids are already exactly. telling you. Instead of having them just be normal, fit the mold, do what everyone else is doing, pay attention to their uniqueness and their creativity emerges around something that is unique about them, something they're already interested in. Well, this comes from Rob. It says, when our oldest was little, she wanted to be an astronaut. It's a common phase for a lot of kids, but Heather didn't grow out of it right away. So we tried to get creative and connect her with the real thing. We reached out to Commander Jim Lovell of Apollo 13, and he sent her a very nice letter. Realmo made a few calls and arranged for VIP access to one of the last shuttle launches after a brief Homeland Security investigation. And we arranged for her to meet Neil Armstrong and take some pictures. Other than some gas, some phone calls and emails, none of these things cost us anything. A lot of parents don't realize that it's easier than you might think to connect your children with people and events that can impact them positively. Yes. Everyone knows someone and sometimes it's just a matter of asking the right person. Reaching out via email is also very effective. Famous people in general are a lot more accessible than most people think. You will probably strike out more than a few times with the times you're successful. Your children will remember for a lifetime. I asked Rob what his what that little girl was doing now. Uh, because it, it implied that that was some time ago. And he says, yeah, now she's 21 years old. She's finishing up her senior year in college in criminal justice. She has just short of a 4.0 GPA, holds a school record in discus, and was one of the top players on the volleyball team. Boy, again, you know, when you think about the connections that all of us have, I think about how we had Kevin, our oldest son, meet Zig Ziglar. Oh, my, yes. And look at where that's led. I think he met Zig first when he was about 10 years old and then, you know, 12, 14, yes. 16, I think is when we got, had, we purchased Zig's gold planner, yes. that leather cover, gold edges on the pages. Zig came over and side of the stage like he does and gets down on, or like he did, got down on one knee, talked to Kevin, encouraged him, signed that gold planner. Well, Kevin had that on the shelf. We had it in our home for years and years and years. Well, all of a sudden, we come full circle. Kevin ends up being friends with Tom Ziegler, Zig's son, and now hosts the Zig Ziegler podcast. I think it's the most fabulous story of coming full circle from something that he had learned and really got excited about as a child. And now he's doing what is a very popular podcast for Zig Ziegler. I think it's incredible, and it's a very good example of how you kind of tap in. You need to tap in early with those things that you know interest 
and excite your child. And who knows where it's going to come back around to. Yeah. Some of the great examples here. Let me go into some of the examples about people exposing their kids to certain things. This comes from uh, Lisa, Lisa Hook. Um, one of the events that our grown sons still talk about, this is a great story, is a time when they were in the fifth grade, second grade, and toddler. Our, one summer, our neighbor hired a team of men to repair his farm fence that was adjacent to our backyard. The fence project took weeks to complete. About the second or third day of seeing the men work on the fence, my oldest son, who would have been in the fifth grade at that time, had the idea to feed the men. After purchasing hot dogs and buns, he set out to build a bonfire and roast the hot dogs for the men. It was a huge success. They ate every last hot dog. Our son then added breakfast to the menu. And for weeks, my fifth grade son ran his restaurant from his little tent in our backyard. He cooked sausage and eggs, toast, coffee, hot dogs, hamburgers, and beans. The only helper was his little brother. I did nothing more than invest in his first grocery run, be the driver for grocery trips, pray, and offer lots of encouragement with the occasional how-to. I cannot tell you how many things we as a family learned through those few weeks. More importantly, the boys learned much about running a business, working as a team, investment, pursuing ideas, and also how God blesses the work of your hands. I pretty much think my sons are brilliant, and I do believe some of their success as adults stems from what they learned those few months of running the tent restaurant. Now listen to this. I love this last comment here from Lisa. It's been over 30 years since that summer, and I do it all over again. Maybe their book work suffered a bit for those weeks. I don't remember. Maybe their rooms needed tidying. I don't remember. But I do remember the look of sheer joy on his face when he posed the idea, and I wholeheartedly agreed and encouraged him. That backyard scene is forever embedded into our memories, and we often draw courage from it. That is the most remarkable story. A great (laughs) example of how not only entrepreneurial skills are being honed, but also just the the bonding experience of the family and what it said to those workers. It, that's just an amazing story. Fifth grade, uh, that means a child is what, 10, 11 years old. What a great little business. It, Set up a tent yep. and provide food for workers across the back fence. Love it. Well, Seiko, Seiko from Florida says, failures are more meaningful and provide more significant lessons. Failures would be more meaningful in this type of setting because rewards would be delayed or removed when the results weren't achieved. Though this is not always the case, it could be said that the more painful the failure, the more attentive the student. And he talked about some examples about don't, don't protect our kids from failing. But we're in an environment where we want our kids to succeed at everything. And we artificially pro- protect them from the reality of life sometimes so they don't learn the lessons that come with failure. I think one of the best Um, lessons that I learned being a parent was one day thinking about all the things that you and I had gone through, not just as since we've been married, and of course, we got married quite young, we were still in our teens, but also just through our childhoods, both of our childhoods being very different. And thinking about how nobody, for the most part, was there to fix things for us. We had to work it out ourselves, and it made us better problem solvers. It made us more, uh, well, I should say it made us less depressed or frustrated or upset when things didn't go right. And I think that we do a great injustice to our children 
when we try to fix things all the time. And I used to do that for my own children, thinking I'm going to make it better for my children because I had to struggle. Mm -hmm. And we do that so often as parents. I'm going to make sure I smooth the way and that everything is just this utopia for them. And all we're doing is handicapping them. We're not letting them go through the struggles of learning on their own, learning from their mistakes. Remember what you used to do with Kevin at bike races when he didn't win? and Because he was used to winning. Kevin was a winner. And Kevin worked hard at his bike racing. He did it seriously. And he, would, he had so many trophies. It was ridiculous. We had boxes of trophies. He did well. But sometimes he didn't. And what did you do when he didn't? Now, I remember one specific time we went to Indianapolis for a major regional race when he was very early in the race. And so he was probably only 10 years old, but he was used to winning at a local level pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. So we went to this major race. It was a three-day event and it was, you had to, you had to get through your heat. You had to win in order to continue. And he bombed very quickly on that first day. He was so distraught and crying and upset and just wanted to go home. What would have been easy just to pack up and go home? And I said, no. We're going to spend the rest of the weekend, the entire weekend, we're going to sit here and we're going to watch those who win so you can learn what they're doing that you didn't do. He remembers that. He remembers that. And he didn't <laughs> like it at the time, he but he's like thankful it. for it now. And it's a really good principle for these children to recognize that you can learn from those other winners. That's the beginning of, of, of growing and learning even as an adult, recognizing that if you look at the people that you want to emulate, those winners in whatever area it might be, you're going to learn a ton. Well, Seiko has an example here. He says we had, uh, he says non-chore opportunities have them come up with one idea to execute on each week that they can actually do on their own where they would be rewarded for a result rather than time. We had a lime tree where Eden, our five-year-old, picked them, and sold them to neighbors. She made $40 in an hour and a half, and then she had to pay others for the results, me for giving her a ride to the corner, sign making, et cetera. She loved it. Reminds me of what you do with yeah. Clara. She makes her cards. You do, she does the artwork. You make them into cards, do the duplication and all that. Then you keep track of the cost of the ink, the paper, Yes, And she pays you for that out of her gross revenue. So she learns the connection. Yes. It's not to, you know, that you can't afford to give her that, but, in, but it teaches her. That's the opportunity to teach it is. It's how a, a real business it's works. It's a teaching opportunity. And so often as parents, we, um, <clears throat> we, we go, we bypass that part of it. We bypass the teaching because it's just easier to just, let them reap all of the rewards from it, not understanding that there are other people who have invested in them. And so those people need to be paid. That's a business principle. And the younger they learn it, the better. Mickey Vandaloo talks about their son, who's now 24 years old and a civil engineer working in construction. He started with the Legos. Then he moved on to popsicle stick bridges in grade school for science fair projects. In seventh or eighth grade, he made a washer game set for an event, had the idea to sell them. His dad and younger brother helped him paint the washers, build the sets, and he had a pretty solid business. Through some connections I had through my work at a university, he got invited to participate in a young entrepreneur's camp at the university. He learned how to monetize and market his business, even started a mock business with a group of the participants. 
About a month or two after the call, I got a call from the camp director who said the Wall Street Journal had caught wind of the camp and wanted to do an article on some of the participants. They wanted to interview my son. He was featured in a great Wall Street Journal article. And now we have the printing plate uh, framed for his house. And Mickey says, here are two quick pieces of advice as a mom of a young entrepreneur. Provide support, guidance, and encouragement. My son was fortunate to have his dad, who was raised by a woodworker, to help guide him to make a quality product. And just be, be open to opportunities to help them become an accomplished entrepreneur. I've seen a lot of university summer programs for young entrepreneurs that connect ambitious youth with experienced business people. Great. Thanks for that contribution. There's a piece to that that I want to comment on. She says when um, uh, when he was learning, let's see, she says, my son was fortunate to have his dad who was raised by a woodworker to help guide him through to make a quality product. We never told him he couldn't do it or couldn't do anything with his business. Instead, if he had an idea, we helped him think it through. Now, think about that. How often do we just tell someone, a child, no, that won't work? But if they were allowed to pursue whatever their idea is and see for themselves why it won't work, isn't that a better teaching principle? Sometimes it's important to follow through and to help that child follow through to recognize that, no, that won't work. So let's find a way that it will work. And I I like what she said about that because I think that's an important uh, part to this this whole issue. Got a note here from a father about his daughter, Selena, and I've talked about Selena Schultz before in my podcast. I remember this story when she was nine or she is nine. She wrote and self-published a book titled A Bed, a Buck, a Buddy, CC's Amazing Birthday. She wanted to write a book to inspire other children to help animals in shelters. Again, we're talking about a nine-year-old. For her eighth birthday, she asked for donations for the animals in shelters instead of getting presents, and she donated it all to three local Pasco County organizations. After what she did, she wanted to reach out more, so she decided to write this book. So she's got a book that's up on Amazon. She donates 50% of the money she gets from the sales of the book to go to local animal shelters, and she's raised a lot of money in doing that, and now she's appeared on ABC Action News, uh, on a segment called Amazing Kids. She was featured in the local Times section of the Tampa Bay Times newspaper. And he says that a bed, a buck, a buddy is not a charity, but a social entrepreneur opportunity of a nine-year-old making a difference while making a living. Well, I love those kind of stories. And it's amazing how young we're hearing stories about children here, five years old, four years old, nine years old who are doing significant things. Sometimes we we don't even expect a child to start thinking for themselves until they graduate from college. What, 22 years old? My goodness. And then they're all of a sudden supposed to know how to do that? Yeah, think about what we're losing by not paying attention to their ideas when they're so young. Ashley's eight-year-old Clara and I have just written a book together that is coming out pretty soon called What If It Were Possible? I recognized that, well, to begin with, Their dog was over here one day, and I saw it. uh, Harley was trying desperately to get up a tree to chasing a squirrel, trying to catch that squirrel. And I just said to Clara, I said, what if it were possible a dog could climb a tree? 
What if it were possible he could climb like you and me, just being funny? And she looked at me, and we kept going on and on about all these things. What if it were possible? Crazy stuff. We had so many laughs and so much fun with that. Well, then she says, let's let's do a book. Let's draw this. So she has done over 30 illustrations in watercolor pencil for this book, and we have an entire story about what if it were possible that she helped to create and she goes around with a smile from ear to ear saying I'm going to be a published author what this does for a child's confidence and the excitement of doing something that most adults would think would be impossible they don't do it themselves much less think a child an eight-year-old child could do and it is so possible and you, you kind of jumped over the part there, but it, it actually has been accepted yes. under contract yes. with a publisher um, and is going to be released as a traditionally she published She signed book. a contract. She it's signed so a contract. Cute. She didn't really sign it because she doesn't do uh, <laughs> cursive that well, but she printed her name on the contract. It is a pr- it's precious. I think it needs to be framed. Well, and then an outcome of that is you recently were asked by a school to come and talk about children's books. Yes. And you mentioned that you and Clara were doing a book together. Could you bring her? And they said, oh, yes, that'd be delightful. And then they ask you, well, what's your fee? And I know you ask me, and of course, you'd be willing to go for nothing. I said, oh, no, wait a minute. This is an opportunity here for a lesson. I said, tell them $50, which you did. And the school said, hey, that's fine. So then you had the pleasure of Telling, telling Clara, Clara yeah. that you're going to do a speaking event together and you're going to split the speaking fee for which she'll get $25. She'll learn so much from that. She'll learn, for one thing, she's never been in a school classroom. She doesn't know what that's like. She's being unschooled, like I said before. Mm-hmm. She will be able to show these children what you can do with your drawings and the, or your writing or your the things that you get excited and passionate about. And she will get, uh, I hope, some experience in learning how to speak in front of others. Well, it's the a thing great is, learning tool. And, and to get $25 for a speaking presentation mm-hmm. uh, is more than... Um, a lot of people get. More than most adults have ever gotten <laughs> yes, in their lives. that's true. It's more than a lot of authors have ever gotten, that's frankly. That's very true. Well, let's move on here. And yes, we are going to go, we're going to go beyond 48 minutes. We're going to kind of ignore the clock today. We're going to go beyond that a little bit here to just get some of these stories in and to get to the principles that we want to share with you. This comes from Jamie Slingerland. He says, we're a musical family. So at our house, there's always some kind of music related activity going on. We introduce different music styles from around the world and have a dance party with a strobe light and everything. The kids experiment with our percussion instruments, um, Juju beans, castanets are among the collection. We all take turns solo dancing, picking the songs, making up silly songs, or singing a funny tune is a favorite activity of ours, especially when you're in the car. And then they attach a little song, Nacho Man. They, they, they shoot little videos a lot. We know the family. They live here locally, and they certainly are involving their children in creative activities all the time. The next comes from Evie Peterson. It says, I think a great way to encourage children, creativity in children is not to do anything for them when time and safety allows. Adults want to jump in and show the child how to do things because it's expedient or easy for them, but they're missing an opportunity to allow for their children's creative development. Very true. A well-placed comment or question can help a child's creativity, but sometimes that's the most involvement a child can have. You know, great 
tips there. We, we watched a movie just last night about a guy helping a little neighbor boy build a soapbox car for a soapbox derby. What do they call those? I guess a little soapbox car. I don't know. But it was a great, it was a great example of him not doing the work, which he could have done himself and done it a lot easier, but encouraging and guiding the little boy to do the work himself. To do every bit of it, make the whole thing himself from cutting the pieces of wood to sanding, to painting, to decals, getting the aerodynamics correct. There was so much learning in it. It was, it was an amazing little movie. This comes from Stephen Crawley. He says, my son Xander is following the Ramsey kids snack on our bar tradition with a box where I work. He set up a meeting with the owner who was so impressed they made the box for him in exchange for one candy bar. Xander, his son, restocks once a week to serve the 50 plus employees with this break room box. The employees have been wanting snack service and he has taken several requests for what they want in the box. After restocking cost, he's making around $50 per week for about an hour's work. I'd say he's doing pretty well for 12. He still makes some money from commissions working at home as well. We're proud of our young entrepreneur. Now, see, that's a great example about a parent using the connections they have. So this is where dad works, but they had a break room. Employees were Mm -hmm. complaining because they didn't have certain snacks there. The little boy, 12 years old, responded to their request, has a snack bar, and he's making 50 bucks a week. Love it, love it, love it. Now, this next story comes from Austin Andrews. We we had the privilege recently of having dinner with this young man who happens to be New York Times bestselling author Andy Andrews' son, who's now 16 years old. Robert D. Smith, who is the manager for Andy Andrews' business here locally, uh, had happened to go to pick Austin up from camp and texted us. We were scheduled to have dinner with him. We were honoring Robert, for his birthday, as I recall, and asked if we would mind if he brought Austin along. If He said, if not, it's no big deal. He could stay at the house. And I said, no, by all means, meet him or bring him along. We'd love to meet him. Well, we did, and just a delightful young gentleman. And we started talking about this business that he has that he calls Sporty Citrus. Now, he wrote us a lengthy explanation of this, which I'm not going to go through in its entirety. But here's the deal. They live in Orange Beach, I think it's Mississippi. It's actually like a little island off the coast of Mississippi. But the, the city is named Orange Beach. But over town, time with development and all, most of the orange trees are gone. It's not orange grows anymore. It's development. And he thought, this is the name of our town. We need to honor the name of our town. There were still some orange trees around the city buildings in town. Austin made a proposal to the city to maintain and nurture those orange trees They were so impressed, they agreed on the spot without going through a lot of committee meetings and all that. And so he maintains the orange trees. Now, as a result, he's added other customers as well to that, where he nurtures and takes care of those orange trees and other citrus trees. Well, after two years, now this is where I love, love, love this this part of the story. After two years, instead of being 14, he's now 16. Well, you know what every boy at 16 is going to do. This is a great part to his story. I love it. Get that first car. Well, Andy, being a dad like a lot of us, have the dad plan telling our kids, we'll match what you save up. We'll match it to get a car that you want. Well, here's where it really gets interesting. Austin purchased 
a 2013 GMC Sierra 1500. Now that's a classy, classy truck and it ain't cheap. I won't give you the dollar figure, but it's a whole lot of money. And he told his dad, that's okay, dad. I got this covered. I don't need your help. Thanks. I got this covered. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh. This young man is, is a pretty exceptional <laughs> young man. And, uh, and Andy and Polly have done very well with him. There's no doubt about it. But just the pride that he has in saying, dad, I can take care of this. That's awesome. I love it because not every child would do that. They, oh my goodness. they would have taken the money and run. Yeah. So he, he paid for his own first car, but now he has a, he has a model for his business. That's really commendable. He has a set fee. It's $49, you know, to plant the tree, nurture it, get it started and all that. You, you pay for the tree, but he'll get it in the ground for you. But here's where it really gets interesting. He has a plan where you pay $19 a month to maintain a tree. Now, you know, it takes some work to maintain a fruit tree. And so instead of just hoping that it does okay, you contract with this young man, Austin Andrews, $19 a month, and he'll maintain your tree. You know, it's funny. He added a piece here. So he, he's also got a personalized plan with instructions that he can do even from a distance. So it doesn't have to be that you live in his own town. And he's he says he'd be offered to honor... The 48 Days listeners, a 50% discount on their own personalized plan during the months of November, December. For $24.50, this would make it an inexpensive and very unusual Christmas gift for family and friends. All someone needs to do is email. You can email austin at sportycitrus.com. Tell me what city and state the plant will be growing in. Oh, love sharing those ideas. Love sharing those ideas. He's very, very entrepreneurial young man, and he will do well. Congratulations to Austin, yes, and to the parents, obviously raising creative children. You know, when, when I was a kid, I just, I just always saw, again, last night you were asking me about, you know, how I was so curious and things. I just saw things. I mean, my parents were very conservative and certainly not very entrepreneurial, although my dad was a farmer. Certainly that is an entrepreneurial kind of thing, but he did it kind of by default because it's what a young Mennonite guy does just to be responsible, provide for his family. It wasn't something he particularly enjoyed, I don't believe, but he did it, did it well. But I was always looking for opportunities. And I remember as a six-year-old saw in the back of a magazine this opportunity to sell Christmas cards. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to win a lot of prizes and make a lot of money. And I ordered Christmas cards. Don't remember the specifics of how I pulled it off, but went door to door. Now keep in mind, door to door for me was not like walking across the yard. No, it's not yard. like walking in a subdivision <laughs> of uh, 400 houses. This was out in the country, in, way in the country. I mean, the next house was a half mile away. And I went door to door with that on my little bicycle selling Christmas cards. I did the same thing. Third grade, I remember selling Christmas cards. And then I got into like fifth grade into Girl Scouts. Oh, you were a pro. In I was. I Girl sold Scout the cookies. most Girl Scout cookies of my whole troop. And I won a big award, $12. I was so Is excited. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure why I won $12 or what that figure hmm. came from, but I do remember it very clearly. You know, those little things that kids do as children are things that sometimes give you some kind of a window into what might, they might become as, the, as an adult. Golly, I remember we had a big garden, being a farm family. Mm-hmm. And when my mom had all the sweet corn that she could possibly freeze and can, 
there was still a lot of sweet corn left out in our garden. And I thought, well, no, that's ridiculous. So I would get up real early in the morning. I remember because the, the corn was so wet with dew. I'd get soaked mm-hmm. going out there in that and getting the corn. But I would pick that corn, put it in a little red wagon that that hooked behind our little Ford tractor. And I would drive the two miles up to the first paved road, park it there. And I had my little sign out and I sold that corn 30 cents a dozen. Obviously, wow. that was a long time ago, but it had great corn that the neighbors were thrilled to get. But it was just a little business idea that I saw. And then we lived on a dirt road. It was really dusty. I hated dusty roads because as I got old enough to appreciate cars, it, the cars were always dirty. But a couple times a year, they'd come through and just in the spots, like just at our, the end of our lane, they'd dump oil. And when you think about it today, it's probably not very ecologically friendly, but they'd dump oil just to kind of hold down some of the mm-hmm. dust. Well, then when the cars drive through, you get that sticky oil up in your cars. It makes the cars even a more a mess. Now, not only are they dirty, but they're sticky with oil. And so I had a service where I would remove all that tar from a car. I would use ga- a kerosene out of my dad's tank with kerosene, use kerosene, remove the tar, wash them, and wax them. $25. That was another business. And I was, I'm but, but again, you know, I did friends that would work for a dollar an hour somewhere mm-hmm. and to make 25 bucks doing that as a car. I've always looked at opportunities like that where you get paid for results rather than just time. Well, Bob says, I've got three children. Justin, who's 23, works as, as a iOS developer. Casey is 20, a student at the prestigious design school of New York's or North Carolina State University. Shelby, who's 17, multi-talented and a junior in high school. And there is a piece here that I want. Oh, I know. Okay. Again, we're going to just jump to some kind of closing tips given here. But he says, Justin was interested in photography. He did a 365 project on Flickr where you take a photo every day for a year, his senior year of high school. Not only did he get tons of experience, Getty Images picked up a few of his images. He occasionally gets royalty checks from his work. That's great. Great. Isn't that awesome? Yep. It really is. Um, let's, uh, what we're going to just move through here. Rodney says, my parents raised me and my two sisters to have an entrepreneurial mindset. The most significant thing they did was to include us in their own business pursuits. Working with my parents in their floral and photography business gave us an up close look on how to treat clients, plan, deliver quality work. Since then, I've never had less than two streams of income. You know, we've lost in the model of our workplace, internships, apprenticeships. Kids used to grow up and they would apprentice in a business, Mm -hmm. be that commonly their mom and dad's business, but they just work in it. I mean, growing up on a farm, you learn a little bit about carpentry and plumbing and electrical, landscaping, all those things, animal husbandry. I mean, you learn all those things. Whereas kids today often grow up in such an isolated kind of environment, they don't even know where their mom and dad work. I mean, when I talk to kids who are in college, I mean, a lot of times they can't describe what their mom and dad do. All uh, they know is they, I, they yeah. leave in the morning You're exactly and come right. back at night. You're right. I mean, how sad to not have them integrated into real work situations. I know we, we certainly included our children when we were first starting out with our the business that we have now. They were always included as soon as they could fold papers for newsletters or put stamps on an envelope or whatever it was that we could possibly get them involved in we 
we would do that. I remember, too, another uh, time, Daniel, back when Kevin, our oldest, was in high school. We didn't even mention that, how he earned money in high school. We, at that point, had a, a business called Auto Appeal. We did aftermarket automobile accessories. And it wasn't like car repair. It was all the things no, that you No, we did sunroofs, cruise control, mm-hmm. running boards, yes. brush guards. All of that kind of thing. But the big thing that you start out, out started out with was striping, which you did, and window tinting. And what did you do with Kevin to help him get money when he was in high school? Yeah, well, I never did window tinting. Never did. Never no. have done a car. But we saw that as, an, as a reasonable addition to all the all the other options that we were offering. And we knew customers were asking for that. Kevin was 14 years old. We sent him to Atlanta for a week-long training program in window tinting. 14 years old. So he came back. It was a natural addition to a business that we already had, but we made it his own division, totally. So he, even he came would, up with his own name. I remember ha- bra- uh, all of us brainstorming, coming up, laughing hilariously, oh. coming up with crazy names for uh, his window tinting business. And one of them stands out in my mind, Tints and Irritable. <laughs> <laughs> Tints, T-I-N-T-S and Irritable. <laughs> I think we ended up with Sun Shield. We did. That one. Yes. We had, had I think we still have some sun visors around. Yeah, I had sun visors. <laughs> but with that, then he was doing, you know, Mercedes and Jags and Volvos working two or three evenings a week after school and it was hard work it was hard work but he was making five six hundred dollars yes he was making some big bucks back and then. that then funded his biking ongoing biking the mm-hmm. expensive bicycles is you know the car that he wanted all those things he was able to fund out of working because he was trained in window tinting yeah it was a great business for him i'm not sure he wants to continue in that vein. <laughs> it was hard work. It was hard it was work great and very money tedious. For a teenager. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, Nicole says parents who want to raise creative kids should first allow their children to think critically. If you always tell them to do something just because I said so without room for discussion, expect your child to grow into a mindless, non creative automaton. Wow, let's stop giving our kids signals that they should just fit in. Why can't you just sit down like the other kids? Your brother was on a honor roll at your age. At five years old, we tell our kids to be like everyone else. At 15 years old, we wonder why they can't think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Nicole says, no wonder creativity and critical thinking are scarce in adulthood. Wow. So true. So don't do the thinking for them. Let them experiment. Give them room. You know, we see so many examples of parents who want their kids to be perfect, so they step in and take over. Yes. And the child doesn't get a chance again to make those mistakes and so on. It's easier to do than taking the time and the effort yeah. to actually help them learn. Yep. Okay. Hey, we're going to circle in. We're going to wrap up here. We're going to wrap up with input from one parent. You know, there's just a couple other things. God, I got to add these a couple other things just in terms of what we're talking about. You know, don't step in and do it for your kids. Don't make decisions for them. You know, give them freedom. One of the things that, that we had as a principal growing up with our kids was look for opportunities to say yes. Don't just automatically say no mm-hmm. because it's inconvenient. If there's not a good reason, go ahead and say, can I go out and play in the rain? Sure. Why not? They're... they're is that's been carried forward now 
with our granddaughters when we go to Taco Bell. Taco Bell has their little sauces, Mm -hmm. and they all have cute sayings on there. There's one that even as Clara was learning to read, I mean, before she could really read, she figured out the spacing, and there was one that we always allowed her to look for, and it says on there, why say no when you can say yes? I remember many, many years ago hearing somebody say that, uh, in in some kind of a par- parenting um, cassette tape that I was listening to, where it said, say yes, unless it's life-threatening, or it's going to be really harmful in some way, or, or disrespectful to somebody else. Say yes, instead of continuously saying no. Uh, something else I wanted to mention, too, that I think that needs, that bears, bears some um, time here is that We have a tendency, specifically in America, to praise our children continuously for whatever they do. Everything is wonderful. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. And so we end up with kids who feel entitled to everything or kids who don't recognize that they need to work harder to do better. And I think we need to be careful of that. Yes, this is great work. Now, let's see if we can't even make it better and and work with your children on learning to do better. And I know we've used Clara a lot as an example because I, I, I have her in my art class every week, and so I spend a lot of time with her. But I'm so aware lately of how eager she continues to learn. Uh, I'm get, I'm doing a I'm teaching a basic drawing class right now, and she knows how to draw. She's just illustrated all of these, made all these illustrations for this book that we've got coming out. Yet she's sitting there every week, taking in everything I say, doing exactly what I say. She wants to learn to do it better, and I think that's what we need to instill in our children not praising them for every single thing that they're doing and saying it's the very best they've ever seen. It's awesome. It's world-changing. Let's see how we can learn to do it even better and continue to teach them and to instruct them how to, how to, to, to have better work principles. On Clara's artwork has changed so dramatically over the last yeah, four it years. It's awesome. It when is. she looks at things that she did you know, three, four years ago, she giggles. She can't believe. <laughs> and yes, we she stands back and says oh that's so awesome that's gorgeous and we say yes it is and then you say clara have you noticed how you could improve the shading here mm-hmm. or how you could change these lines and then she's oh you're right yeah and then mm-hmm. she eagerly does that to make those adjustments to make it better help them see help them see where they can improve not tell them what the, what to do all the time yeah well here we're going to wrap up with input from jen mcdonough Now, this was just so amazing the way it was put together. Jen obviously put a lot of thought into this, but these principles. She did a a better job than we could do. (laughs) Jen, I I think you did a great job. I'm giving you praise for this. She's got six principles for raising creative children. And we're going to use this as a wrap up today. Hopefully we've stimulated a lot of your thinking that you can do if you are a parent or if you're a grandparent, or if you're a child, no matter where you are in the scope of things here, hopefully we've given you some ideas, things you can do to move along. You know, one of our resources, of course, is Dan's 48 low or no cost business ideas. Uh, Some of those came from things that we've seen young children do and develop. 
Uh, we'll be coming out with further editions of that because the list of things that children can do and adults can do if they're creative and they're thinking to turn them into real legitimate viable businesses is unending. But here are the principles that Jen has to share with us. Number one, let them have problems. So oftentimes as parents, we want to fix our kids' problems. In kindergarten, it never ceased to amaze me at how many parents took over their kids' problems by helping them with their homework. I remember one time in particular when the kids were supposed to build Play-Doh dinosaurs and bring them to the class. Seriously, my kids looked like a big green glob, yet they were so proud of it and could see exactly what it was. There were some projects brought in that looked like NASA engineers designed them. Parents often think we're giving our kids the upper advantage by helping them, which in reality is really another form of enabling them. And when we enable them, we stifle their creativity. So very true. We need to allow our kids to have problems. It was, as I mentioned before, a real eye-opener, a pivotal point in my own parenting when I recognized that my kids need to make mistakes. I want them to make mistakes. One of the things that, uh, that Jen also says is let them be bored. I used to be the mom who crammed every minute into every day. We had our kids running night and after night to this event and that event. We started our kids in hockey at age three. We were the ultimate family in making sure they were very busy. Boy, does that strike a note for a lot of parents. I found that having that downtime has not only raised the bar for them finding creativity in playing time with each other, but has developed a deeper bond than any amount of busyness ever could. I think allowing that downtime is essential for creativity. I don't care if you're a child or an adult. It works for all of us. Number three, so we've got number one, let them have problems. Number two, let them be bored. Number three, foster their creativity by understanding and respecting how they are wired. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. Look at the uniqueness. Your children can give you clues about where their creativity is when they're six months old. Yeah. Anyway, Jen says, this has probably been the biggest thing on helping to understand how things are valued in certain ways. Art comes in many forms and in many ways. My art is in how I'm gifted at connecting with people and getting them to connect with one another. My daughter's art is through computer graphics and through drawing on paper. My son's is through Lego building creations. My youngest is through drawing beautifully with crayons. My husband's is in restoring cars. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we love the term art and it does not mean just putting paint on canvas exactly art is what you do that makes you unique and creative and it comes in many forms another one that jen brings out is let them get dirty they're not kids are not meant to be put on a shelf or admired like a priceless vase nor is uh as is a lawn more important than your kids to play uh, more important than your kids play it's uh you know Boy, that brings to mind back when uh, your dad used to come down to our house and he would want to make our backyard look pristine. And I remember us telling him our yard is for our kids to play in and to enjoy. And if they want to dig a big hole in the backyard, (laughs) it's okay. If they want to mess around in the flower beds, it's okay. So, But letting your kids get dirty, let them go out and play in the rain. Let them go out and jump in a puddle. If you are so concerned that they say stay pristine, it's going to affect their ability to get out there and explore and experiment. Let them get dirty. I loved that one, Jen. <laughs> Number five, set aside the rule book. 
Sometimes games are better when kids make up the rules. So what if they don't do Monopoly correctly at age five? Let them make up their own rules so it can lead to more creative kids. Our grandkids in Colorado like to play Uno, and I've forgotten exactly what they call it, but they make up their own rules and have added things to it. That, And I remember the first time that I played it with them, I said, uh-uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's the way we play it. Well, no, you got to do it this way. Well, yes, you can. We can do it this way. We can do it your way. We can make up new rules. That's okay. Well, we've kind of stretched that concept in our family, as you know, the idea of rules and breaking rules, probably to an extreme. Well, that's your doing, <laughs> not mine. I'm a rule. I follow the rules a lot more than you do. Our, you just think they're there to bro- be broken our, or to stretch tremendously. I remember one time one of our children looking over my shoulder in the car and uh, noting that I was going significantly over the speed limit. And I said, well, you know, I'm driving, I'm in control. And they, they said, yes, but it's against the rules. And my comment, which has been forever thrown back in my face, probably overstated at the time. But I said, rules are made by people who haven't yet learned how to think. Ooh, that's nasty, Daniel. That's nasty. (laughs) That's probably nasty. But we've (laughs) encouraged our kids, you know, not to just arbitrarily break rules, but there are some things that are set up arbitrarily where if you want to do it differently, certainly you have the right to do that. Certainly. Smile at the irritating things. She taught, Jen talks about how she got upset about at first um, when she saw pin marks on her wall until she really took a good look at the pictures and realized how much work and thought went into each one. One of her children had had drawn a, a, what they thought was a masterpiece on the wall. I remember doing something similar when, when she was that age. Her art was about two inches long in an area that no one would have noticed. However, my dad th- threw such a fit that I was ashamed whenever I looked at what was once beautiful. We have to remember that sometimes those things that irritate us most are the masterpiece of for a child and take that into consideration. Yes, we need to teach them, but there are times when we need to bend the rules a little bit and just smile at those things that are irritating. Good job up with these principles, Jen. We couldn't have done better ourselves. Yeah, thanks so for doing our summary input. for us. Yeah, thank you very much, Jen. You're a big help to us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, that's going to be it. We're, we're going to be at 75 minutes today instead of 48. Thanks for being tolerant with that. There's just so much on this important topic. Thanks again to all of you, so many of you, and we certainly weren't able to go through all the input. But thank you so much for the input on this important topic about how to raise creative and entrepreneurial children. You know, when we talk about being entrepreneurial, we're not talking about everybody ignoring having a real job. You know, we're just talking about understanding the options that are out there. There are a whole lot of people who are going to end up in traditional jobs, but they're going to be doing something on the side. You know, it's very rewarding. We love seeing people that take their creativity and do something in addition to having an ordinary job. And also within that job, you know, you said earlier that we all have our own art and there is an art to everything that you do if you look at it in that way instead of it just being work it's an art so do it the best you can do absolutely well you know how we always wrap things up here again we want to just thank you for being part of the 48 days community for your contributions whether you're a listener a contributor however you're involved we appreciate that we, we love having you involved 
And we appreciate the way that you are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. It's a beautiful day. Don't let it go. It's gonna take your whole heart. It's gonna take all you.